0: following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. So, we are starting a new series. It's called Here We Stand. The idea of this series that we're starting today is that it uh, we are we're marking this anniversary, uh, the 500 year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. If if that doesn't mean anything to you, by the way, that's that's totally fine. If Protestant Reformation is a meaningless phrase, that's fine. That will become clear, I hope, as we as we go along. Uh, that was nailed there by this German monk called Martin Luther, and that event became really the catalyst for a revolution, really. It, that's not too strong a word. It was a revolution. Uh, and, and not just a revolution in the church. It wasn't just this little in-house thing that just affected Christians and churches. Uh, the Protestant Reformation had a massive effect. It really changed Europe. It changed the face of Europe. It changed Europe politically and socially and, and has had a massive effect on Western society, in general, a lot of the repercussions of the Protestant Reformation we don't even realize, but it's had a massive widespread global effect. And within the church among Christians, the effect of all this, the effect of the Reformation, is around about 500 million Christians worldwide that identify themselves as Protestants, uh, which includes us, those of us in this church, those of us who are Christians. We're a Protestant church, and again, that may or may not mean anything to you, but we are some of over 500 million around the world that inherit this Reformation legacy. And the Reformers, people like Martin Luther, they used this word sola, Latin word sola. And they used the word to describe these doctrines, these ideas that were absolutely central and are absolutely central to the Christian life and the life of the church. And they weren't new and novel doctrines. None of this is stuff that Martin Luther or the Reformers invented. They didn't come up with the stuff. But they called the church back to these truths that had become lost, that had become obscured in the course of history by the church in the Middle Ages. And they called the church back to, to its roots, back to Scripture. And so they would talk about sola scriptura, Scripture alone. That's what we're going to look at today. They would talk about solus Christus. Christ alone, we'll look at that next week. Uh, Sola gratia, grace alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Sola de gloria, glory to God alone. These central truths that we hold dear as Christians. And you could put all of that together and say, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, according to scripture alone, by Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And that's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of the Christian faith. And so that's what we're going to be looking at over these next five weeks. We're going to work through the five solas of the Reformation. And we'll start today with sola scriptura, scripture alone, because that's really the foundation. Everything else we'll say comes out of scripture. And so we need to have this fundamental conviction, sola scriptura, and understand what that means. So I want to start with a video clip. And this is from the movie Luther. Uh, It's not a bad idea, actually, if you get a chance over the next few weeks to hunt out that movie Luther. Uh, It's a good portrait of Martin Luther's life and work. And let me just say this about Luther before we play the clip. Luther was no saint. Okay, so in the course of this series, we're not going to idolize Martin Luther and put him on this great pedestal. He did accomplish some amazing things, but he had his flaws. He had some big flaws, okay? So this is not about some perfect person at all. In fact, I think one of the wonderful things about Luther and the Reformation is the way that God used a very ordinary bloke, really, a very ordinary monk to do some significant things and bring about some extraordinary change in the church. But Luther himself was very much an ordinary man doing what he felt called to do by God. And so this is a scene, hopefully you'll be able to see it, this is a scene from the movie Luther, and it's a scene from Luther's life where he's put on trial for heresy. So he's been teaching things and writing things, calling into question Uh, the abuses of the church, the corruptions of the church, the misguided practices of the church, and seeking to call people back to Scripture, to Christ, to faith, to the gospel. And for that, he is put on trial for heresy and threatened with excommunication. And at this trial, he is asked to recant his views, pressured to recant these views that he'd been propagating. And so let's look at this and see how that scene played out. And it's worth remembering that... uh, you know, to be to to say what Luther said, I mean, he's saying that at the risk of his life. Uh, if you if you if you're a heretic in those days, it's not it's not a little telling off; it's burned at the stake. Uh, and so Luther's very much aware of the fact that his life is on the line when he's saying these things. But let, let's just put up that that final statement again that Luther made. If we can put that back up on screen, Rob. And um, look at those words that he says, where he says at the end, here I stand. That's where I got the name for the series, by the way. Here we stand. Luther says, here I stand. But the key phrase in there, really, is where he says, my conscience is captive to the word of God. And that is the essence of sola scriptura. Luther is saying, I'm binding myself to the scriptures. And I cannot and will not do anything and say anything and teach anything which goes against Scripture. He is using Scripture. He's using the Bible to weigh and sift and sort and judge what he's seeing around him and the practices of the church and so on. He's measuring all those things against Scripture. And he's seeking to align himself as closely as he can in his thinking and his speaking and his writing with God's Word as his sole authority, as his primary authority, as his highest authority. That's really the essence of Scripture, of sola scriptura, is to say, Scripture alone is our highest and our primary authority. That's what we mean when we say sola scriptura. Scripture alone is our highest and primary authority. It doesn't mean other things are not important. It doesn't mean there's not truth and wisdom to be found in other places, and we'll talk about that, but it means that above all of those things sit the Holy Scriptures. And Scripture alone tells us the truth about who God is. In Scripture, we, we find out who the Father and the Son and the Spirit are. In Scripture alone, we find out who we truly are as human beings made in the image of God. In Scripture alone, we see What the world, who the world is and where the world is going and God's plan for humanity, God's plan for creation, where he is taking the world. Scripture alone tells the true story of what God is doing, past and present and future. So it has a unique authority, all of its own. It's in a category, all of its own. It is elevated above all other sources of authority and truth, Scripture alone. Now, for us to say that here in a Protestant church, that's fairly uncontroversial today. I mean, this is just what Christians tend to believe. But in Luther's day, this was highly controversial to make this kind of statement. Let me read to you what one of his opponents said subsequently. Whoever does not hold fast to the teaching of the Roman church and of the pope as the infallible rule of faith, from which even Holy Scripture draws its strength and authority, is a heretic. And that is exactly what Luther is protesting against. This idea that the Pope or anyone, any person in the church or outside of the church, the idea that any person would be an authority over the Scriptures. That's effectively what the church of his day believed, that the Pope was over Scripture. And so the Pope was the official interpreter of Scripture for everybody else because he had this position of authority above Holy Scripture. And Luther said, no, it's not like that. It's not that the Pope is above the Scriptures. It's that the Scriptures are above the Pope. Scripture is the final arbiter of truth to which we must all submit. And that's as true today as it was back then. So when I stand up here and teach you the Bible week after week, I'm not trying to place myself in a position above the Bible. Just because I'm up here with a microphone and I'm opening the Bible and explaining its meaning doesn't mean that I'm trying to put myself in some position of authority over the Bible. When I stand up here and preach, I'm placing myself in a position of submission under the text, under the text of Scripture. And I'm seeking to allow Scripture to interpret me and to interpret us and to examine our lives. So it's important that you hear that. There is no person living or dead who has authority over Scripture, Scripture alone is our highest authority. And that is what Luther stood for and put his life on the line for. Now, sola scriptura is true, but not because Luther said it. It's not that Martin Luther came up with this thing and we believe it because it's the word of Luther. We believe it because God said it. We believe this because it's in the Bible itself. And I want to look with you at a passage this morning which bears this out. In 2 Timothy, if you've got a Bible, I hope you brought one today. It will be a good day to have one. 2 Timothy, if you've got it on your device, open that up. If someone beside you has got one, just pinch theirs. 2 Timothy 3, 16. Well, we'll start back in 14. This is a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy from verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, there's a lot in there that we could unpack, but let's just focus on that key phrase in verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed. Some of your translations, older translations, say inspired by God. All Scripture is inspired by God. Um, More recent translations, God-breathed uh, there's it's one Greek word behind that phrase, one big, long Greek word, the word theopneustos. And interestingly, that word, it only appears this one time in the whole Bible. It's quite a unique word. There's nowhere else in the whole Bible, this word theopneustos, God breathed, appears. And in fact, even outside the Bible, the word only appears in later writings after this letter. So it's actually very likely that this is a word that Paul himself coined. He might have been the first to use this word. That when Paul came to, to think about and describe the unique kind of authority that the Bible had, when he searched for a word to try and sum that up, he couldn't find one. There was no word available to him in the Greek language to sum up how unique Scripture is. So what he did is he got two words, and he put them together. The word theos, meaning God, and the word nuos, meaning breath or to blow. It's the same word where we get the word spirit in the Bible. Numa, nuos means to breathe, to blow. And so there's the sense of God breathing out His Spirit and bringing something about. God breathing out His Spirit, speaking out His Word, and bringing about the Holy Scriptures, bringing about this book that we hold in our hands. It's not dissimilar to what God did at creation. When God speaks, He breathes out His Spirit and He brings about that which did not previously exist. He brings about creation. And now God has spoken again, and He has brought about the the words, the sacred words of the Bible. And so the words that we read in Scripture are the very words of God Himself. They are God-breathed. But the way in which God did this is important to understand. It's not that God just breathed out, and then the, the Bible just magically appeared that God just exhaled and this book dropped into our lap, and this is the word of God. God breathed, but he did so using human authors, like Paul. So when Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, when, he, when he's writing this letter, it wasn't like God was sort of hovering over his shoulder, dictating every single word to Paul. It wasn't like God was saying, Paul, write the word Theopneustos. Paul writes down Theopneustos. What word shall I write next, God? Write the word and, and it wasn't it wasn't dictation like that. Sometimes maybe we imagine that's the case, but it wasn't like that. When Paul writes, it's Paul writing, and Paul uses his language. He uses his words. You you hear Paul and his heart and his emotions. Sometimes he's angry. Sometimes he's friendly. Sometimes he's fed up, depending on who he's writing to. But it's Paul, and this is at one level, it's a very human letter. As all of the biblical writings are, they're written by specific people at specific times into specific historical circumstances. They emerge from a certain time and a certain place. So the Bible at one level is a very human book, but here's the thing. Here's what Theopneustos means, God breathed. It means that as Paul is writing this letter, or he would have been dictating it to his secretary, but as he was putting this letter into and in, in, forming it, the Holy Spirit was so actively at work in Paul's mind, in Paul's heart, in Paul's life. We don't know how consciously aware Paul was of this, but the Holy Spirit was so permeating that whole experience that in the end, the words Paul wrote were exactly the words God wanted written. That even though Paul was writing, the Holy Spirit was working and moving and presiding over this whole process, so that the words Paul wrote are exactly the words that God wanted. So the Bible is a human book written by human authors, but it is also a divine book whose ultimate author is God. It's not unlike the way Jesus is both God and man. The two natures of humanity and divinity come together in the person of Christ. In the same way, the Bible is both a human book and it is a divine book. It is the Word of God. Yes, we can say this was written by Paul, but we can also hold our Bible in our hand and we can say with clarity and confidence, this is the Word of God. And that's a fundamental conviction for a Christian to have, that this is the very Word of God. It is God-breathed. It's not just a book about God. It's not just a book to God. It's not just a witness to God's deeds in history. This is the very Word of God. It's not that God just put a little flourish on something that already existed. God was instrumental in the writing and the copying and the compiling of this book, which is really a collection of books that we now hold in our hand. This is the Word of God. So we can say, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And that's a conviction that's so important for us to have, that the Bible has this unique authority. That's where the authority comes from, that it's God-breathed. The authority is not literally in the pages of the Bible. I mean, at a literal level, this is paper and ink. The authority is not in the paper and not in the ink. It's not in this physical thing. The authority is in God. God. The authority of Scripture rests in God, the author of the Bible, who has breathed this into being, and so this is His Word to His people in ancient times, and it's His Word to us today, which means this book is categorically unlike any other book you might have. It might look exactly this, it might look very similar sitting on your shelf next to Harry Potter, or next to The Hungry Little Caterpillar, or whatever it's sitting next to, but this book is categorically different because there is no other book that you can look at and say that's the word of god only the bible has that status only the, there is nothing else that exists in all creation other than the person of jesus that you can look at and say that is the word of god the bible alone is god's direct and special revelation to us that's why it has such a unique and important authority that's why we say sola scriptura scripture alone Is our highest and primary authority in life, in faith, and for discerning truth from error. Now, when we say that, when we say sola scriptura, that doesn't mean that there are no other sources of authority at all. And I don't think Luther was saying that. Luther Luther wasn't saying that the popes and councils and churches have absolutely no authority, he was saying, relative to scripture, they don't have authority. But there are many other ways in which God might speak to us. When I was preparing this series, I was talking to a guy and uh, explaining the whole Sola Scriptura thing to him. And his first question to me was, well, what about the Holy Spirit? Doesn't the Holy Spirit speak to us? Isn't that one of the ways that God speaks to us today, not just directly through the Bible? And yes, it is. Yes, God can speak to us through the Holy Spirit. There's all kinds of ways in which God can speak to us. Let's name some of them. Firstly, our traditions. Traditions. A lot of us, if, we've got, if you've got a church background, you may come from a particular denomination. Those denominations have traditions, they've got certain beliefs, sometimes they have certain confessions, like if you're a Presbyterian, you probably memorised the Westminster Confession. It's a great statement of Christian Orthodox truth. And so we're shaped by our traditions, and our traditions help us discern what is true, what is not true, and they influence us in all kinds of ways. That can be a good thing. We're shaped by our cultures, various ethnic cultures. And those cultures have a huge bearing on how we see life and how we interpret the world, how we see other people. And they have a bearing on our faith too, how we think about God, how we think about how we practice our faith and outwork it it in the world. We're shaped and influenced by our culture. That's fine. That's good. Uh, Personal experience. This is the the God speaking directly to me category. Um, There are all kinds of ways in which God may speak to us, just maybe through the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our hearts through creation, through the word of another person, sometimes into our life. God has all kinds of ways of speaking directly to us. And those are good, those are right, those are valid. We'd never want to limit the ways in which God may speak to us. Our reason is another way in which we we figure things out. Even Luther himself said, unless I'm convinced by Scripture and plain reason, God's given us a brain. He wants us to use that. We make logical deductions about things, and so we figure things out and we draw conclusions, and that includes things about our faith. We're influenced and shaped by the use of our minds. That's good. So we have all of these things going on, all of these ways in which we are influenced and shaped, all these these tools that we use, in a sense, to try and figure life out, figure out what to believe and how to behave. The thing is, the way that we often go about this is that we sort of see all of these things like they're just in a bit of a bundle. And they're all on a par with each other. And so God might speak to me through the Bible, and He might speak to me through personal experience, and He might speak to me through another, another book. He might speak to me through dreams and visions. He might speak to me through my culture and this tradition and whatever. And that's all just part of the package of how God speaks. Now, all of those things are valid. But if you just see all of those things as carrying equal weight, that is not a biblical way of living. That is not a Christian way of living. What Sola Scriptura says, what 2 Timothy 3 says, what what Theopneustos says is that Scripture has a position as our highest authority, and then all of these other things have a secondary authority under Scripture. So they have value and there is benefit. And we can receive truth and revelation from these various sources, but they all sit underneath the revealed Word of God. And if there is a point at which any one of these things clashes and collides with Scripture, we must set this aside and go with Scripture. That's the conviction that the Bible itself leads us towards. That's, that's the doctrine of sola scriptura. So let me give you an example of this. Uh, over the last few years, there's been... More and more stories floating around about people who have had these near-death experiences and gone and visited heaven and then come back and been revived and, and apparently had gone to heaven and then they lived to tell the tale and talk about what they'd seen and what they'd heard. And there's so many of these stories, actually. Now this has its own genre. It's called heaven tourism. And, I mean, bookshops just got more and more. If you go online, there are a lot of these stories. Some of the, one of the more recent ones, one of the ones that got a lot of profile, was that book Heaven is for Real, uh, the story of this boy who had a near-death experience, and he apparently went to heaven and met people there who had died, and he came back and he talked about these people, and apparently he had no other way of knowing about these people other than what he would have experienced in heaven. And so people were amazed how he, how he knew the names of these people or was able to describe people who he had never met by going to heaven. Now, I don't want to pass judgment on whether or not that actually happened. Maybe it did. I can't discount the fact that maybe that happened. Maybe God allows that to happen to certain people uh, at certain times. But what concerns me a little bit is when Christians kind of latch on to that as proof that heaven really does exist. Because, I mean, it's a powerful story, and he saw these things, and how else do you explain it? And we kind of latch onto it, and we say, well, you know, so look at this. Heaven really is for real. And my response to that would be, yes, heaven is for real, but we already knew that. Because the Bible told us that heaven is for real. And if you want to know whether heaven is for real, read the Bible. And if you want to know what heaven's like, read the Bible. So it's not that you can't read those stories. I'm not saying go burn the books. That's fine. They may be encouraging, that can be edifying, but what I'm saying is we need to be careful because we can very easily, without intending to do it, we can take this thing, which is really in the category of personal experience, so that's where it fits in, we can take this thing and we can elevate it to the level of Scripture. We can put it on par with, we can even elevate it above Scripture if we're not careful and make this the determining authority in our life that tells us that heaven really is for real. And we don't mean to do it, but that's just subtly the drift. And we need to say, no, no, let's come back to Scripture and weigh this against what the Bible tells us. To the degree that it conforms to what God has already revealed in His Word, great. And we can be encouraged, and we can be edified. Let's still hold it lightly, because it's a personal subjective experience. We don't really know what's going on. Let's hold it lightly, and let's really put our weight on Scripture to tell us whether heaven is for real, to tell us what heaven is like. Now, that's just one example. But I would encourage you to use that kind of matrix to think about all these various ways in which we're influenced, and guided and led, all these different ways in which we find wisdom and truth in life, to cling to the idea that Scripture is our highest authority. So if there is something in the traditions that you've inherited that ultimately does not conform to the Word of God, we've got to be willing to set aside our traditions for the sake of the Word of God. That's what Luther was willing to do. If there's something in our culture, even our ethnic culture, that runs against Scripture, we've got to be prepared to set that aside. And say, well, no, solar Scripture, Scripture alone is my highest authority. Everything else must submit to that. And if there is a clash, it will always be Scripture that comes out on top. It will always be Scripture that I cling to because that's what God's Word itself calls me to do by saying that all Scripture is God-breathed, that this is the Word of God. So we always need to weigh and measure and balance all other sources of truth against Scripture alone. Now, you know what that means, right? If we're actually going to do this, we've actually got to know our Bibles. We've actually, at a certain point we're actually going to have to read the Bible. Um, I don't know whether you knew this was part of the equation, but this is actually required. It's not just this thing we believe; we've actually got to live it out. This is one of the wonderful things. I think possibly the best thing that Luther ever did was to translate the Bible into German, into the language of his people. Because he, had, I mean, if you were if you were a Christian in the Middle Ages, you didn't have a Bible. You had no personal copy of the Bible at all, and so you never heard it. You never read it. Even when you went to church and heard the Bible read out, you couldn't understand a word that was being said because it was in Latin. So you didn't even hear the Bible in church in a way that was comprehensible to you. Common people had absolutely no access to the Scriptures, and Luther couldn't stand that because he was gripped with this conviction. Scripture alone is our highest authority. That means we've got to get the Bible into the hands of the common people. We've got to get the Bible into the hands of the people. And so Luther undertook this laborious process of translating the Bible, the entire Bible, into German. Because he wanted the farm boy to be able to read the Bible and get as much out of it as the Pope could. He wanted everybody to be able to access the Bible. And so he began this movement of returning Scripture to the people of God. So, that it wasn't in the hands of the privileged few, but it was the possession of all people, so we could read it and we could know what Scripture says, so we could actually practice Sola Scriptura in our lives. Others picked up on Luther's legacy and carried forward the work. Another guy, William Tyndale, he was the first man to translate the Bible into English from the original Greek and Hebrew. So, the first person to, to give us the kind of Bible we've got now, translated from the Greek and Hebrew, the original language. Into English, Tyndale accomplished that. And you know how he was rewarded for it? Burned at the stake. Because that was such an abomination to do something like that at the time, to to produce this version of the Bible that was not the authorized Latin Vulgate That was not the, the, the officially sanctioned version of the Bible to go against that and produce this English version of the Bible. This was anathema. And Tyndale was literally tied to a pole and burned to death in a public execution. It was horrendous. But I tell you what, as you hold, I mean, just would you just now, if you've got a Bible, would you just grab it out and hold it in your hand? or open it up on your device, because I just want us to appreciate when you hold this Bible in your hand, we take for granted. We can pick up a Bible in our language. We can read it any time we want to. People have literally given their life to make this possible for you. People like Tyndale have sacrificed their life. People like Luther have risked their life so that we could sit here and have a copy of the Bible in our own language sitting on our lap. It is an immense privilege. It's incredibly precious that we have this, and we dare not take it for granted. Because here's the tragedy, I think, today, is that we live in a day, in an age, where the Bible is more accessible now than ever before. I mean, Luther lived in the age of the printing revolution. So that made the Bible more accessible than than ever before. We live in the age of the digital revolution, and so this has just exploded, the accessibility of the Bible. It's phenomenal. Luther could never have believed that we could sit here, and with a couple of touches of the button on our phone, you, you can open up multiple translations of the Bible, not only your native language, whatever language you want to, and then within your native language, you can access multiple translations of the Bible. That gives you a different nuance and flavor and inflection of different words and phrases. And you've got Bible study tools that you can access easily. You've got online resources. You've got commentaries. You've got so many Bibles, you don't know what to do with them all. We've got all this access to the Bible, and yet we are reading the Bible less than ever before. This is just a tragedy that in our day of greater accessibility to the Scriptures than any previous generation, Christians are reading their Bible less than ever before. I mean, we've become worse than the Christians of the Middle Ages. They didn't read the Bible because they couldn't. We just don't read the Bible because we can't be bothered. Because it's too hard, we're too busy, we've got too much else going on, and I just can't be stuffed forming the habit. It's just not good enough. We are dishonoring our Reformation heritage. We're dishonoring the Word of God itself by refusing to enjoy and engage in the Word of God, the Bible that God has given us. And I want to challenge you, and I need to say this strongly. It needs to be said strongly at the outset of this series. Sola Scriptura is not just a belief. Don't believe it if you're not willing to practice it, if you're not actually willing to live this out. Because if you have this conviction, That Scripture alone is our highest and primary authority. That should be reflected in your life. For so many Christians, the Bible just sits on the shelf most of the week. Maybe you bring it to church. Maybe you open a verse here and there, and otherwise it just remains completely unused and unopened. I don't know how we think we're ever going to grow in our Christian lives Well, we don't have a regular practice of the Word of God. I talk to person after person after person in this church, people who have been Christians for decades, no regular practice of reading the Bible whatsoever. Friends, we're not going to grow up while we stay this way. We're not going to grow up as a church while we stay this way. We will remain malnourished and anemic Christians. We will remain spiritually immature. Because it is impossible to make progress in our Christian lives apart from the Word of God. The Word of God has tremendous power to change our lives, to encourage us, to comfort us, to direct us, to teach us, to shape us. God will speak to you through His Word, but we've got to open it and read it. And so I want to challenge you as we start the series to make solar scripture something that you don't just believe intellectually, but you live it out through deciding today, I'm going to get serious about the Word of God. I'm going to get serious. No more mucking around. I'm going to be serious about getting the Bible into my life and being a person who knows the Scriptures. Maybe you've barely had any real exposure to the Scriptures before. You don't know where to start, don't know what to do. Begin today. Begin by saying, I'm going to start a habit in my life of every day just spending some time reading the Bible. Just a simple way, don't need to go too deep, don't need to ask a whole lot of questions or or have a whole lot of answers off the bat, but just begin a practice of starting to read the Bible. It's an absolutely essential ingredient in you moving from spiritual immaturity to spiritual maturity. That journey will not happen without getting the Word of God into your life. It's as simple as that. I don't know how else to say it to you. This is absolutely vital for us. And I think many of us at a certain level, we want to do this. But life gets in the way, we get busy, we don't know how, it's too hard, we've got the best of intentions, but that lasts just a couple of days and then we're done. But can I encourage you to really resolve today before God that you will develop this habit, not just for a day or two, but as a lifelong habit of digging and delving into the Word of God and meeting God in the pages of Holy Scripture. It will shape you, it will mold you, it will grow your faith like nothing else. And that's the kind of church I pray that we would become, a church that is grounded on the Word of God. Spend some time reading the Bible individually and spend some time reading the Bible with others. This is a great practice as well. If you get yourself into a life group type setting where the Bible is being read and being studied and being discussed, it's a very helpful thing because then you have all these different perspectives on Scripture coming together and we can help each other. And you've got one view on this and I've got another view and we can kind of learn from each other. And that's, that, that's the Protestant spirit, to be honest. Luther's idea was never that we'd all just be islands reading the Bible on our own, but that we'd come together and read Scripture in community so we could learn from each other and be encouraged by each other. And that's a much better safeguard of the truth so we don't go off in these wild tangents. So find a way, not just on Sunday mornings here, but find a way into little groups and clusters where you can be opening the Bible together, reading it together, sharing it together, and learning together from Scripture. My prayer is that we would experience something of our own personal reformation by doing this. That we would come back to those truths that the Reformers gave their lives for, beginning by recovering the centrality and the beauty and the primacy of the Word of God. I pray we'd have a new reformation in our lives by getting God's word back into our hearts and our minds. I pray we'd have a new reformation in our church that begins by reclaiming sola scriptura, scripture alone, not just as something we give mental assent to, but as something that takes root in our lives day by day. I pray that God would give you the strength and the courage to make this a daily habit from here until the day that you die, that you might be able to look back at the end of your life and say, through it all, Through the highs and the lows, through the ups and the downs, through all of the different seasons of life, there was this practice that sustained me of being in the Word of God. And through the Word of God, God shaped me and He comforted me and He encouraged me and He led me and He carried me through some dark times. He taught me, molded my life. And every day He met me in the pages of His Word. You're not always going to feel something. When you do that, it's not, we're not chasing after emotions, but we're embedding in our lives a practice of soaking in Scripture because we believe that the Word of God is living and active and powerful, and it's our daily bread, and we want to be nourished by it every day. May we cling to solar Scripture or Scripture alone. May we live it out in our lives through engaging with God in His Word every day. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Your word itself, Lord, says that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. We thank you for the timeless authority of your word. Thank you, God, that you have faithfully preserved your word down through thousands of years since it was first written. And you've given it to us today that we could hold these sacred writings in our hands. Father, help us know afresh how precious your word is. I pray that you'd capture our hearts by just how important scripture is, how central it is, and how much you desire to speak to us through your word. And I want to pray, Father, I pray this for myself as well as all my brothers and sisters here, that, Father, you would help us to resolve this day that we will become those people your word describes, men and women who can accurately handle the word of truth. May we be those people, people who have a firm grasp on the word of God, people of the scriptures, people of the book, people who build our lives upon the authority and the power of your word. Father, give us the strength to do this. Give us the time to do this when we don't know where that time is going to come from. And in the weeks ahead when it gets hard and other things crowded out and the evil one comes and tries to steal away what's been planted, we pray your Holy Spirit would work so powerfully within us that we would stick with it and persevere in your word, even when it's not easy, even when it's hard. We pray you'd speak to us in power day by day through your word. In the name of Jesus. This has been a teaching message from Shore Community Church.